welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Father God, we love the word. We have been already taken a drink of new wine in our worship, but now we ask for bread, bread from your word, that it would live inside us. Lord, grace us and strengthen us and empower me to speak faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God's promises must be fought for and possessed inch by inch. God's promises must be fought for and possessed inch by inch. They aren't handed to us on a plate. He still speaks to his people today, and when he does, he often states a matter as if it had already been accomplished in our lives. Or if it's something he's saying he will do in the future, it may sound like we have no role to play in bringing about that promise to fruition. But over and over again in the Bible, we see God doesn't work that way. Usually, when he declares his will, he means, here's what I will empower you to accomplish as you step forward in faith. Just stop there for a second. Here's what I'm going after. Many times, people have a sense of God's word to them, God's calling to them. They've had prophetic words, but they passively wait for God to do something. Sort of like, well, he knows my address. I have actually had people who for decades have done nothing in response to the prophetic words spoken in their life, and they say, well, I guess, you know, I guess it's never going to happen. I mean, you know, he knows my address. Get over it. When God speaks his word, he's saying, here's what I'm going to do as you walk in faith. We're going to see an example of that. We're going to see a principle at work here in the book of Revelation in which God declares a matter as done and finished. And yet on planet Earth, it's still chaos. And it will be for years. What's he doing? Is he just out of touch? No, there's a deep deep principle at work. And it works in our lives as well. The passage we have before us in Revelation is an example of this principle at work. In it, we hear God announcing that he has completely begun to reign on earth at least three and a half years before the Antichrist government has ended, and Jesus' rule is set up. If we don't understand the spiritual principle at work, we'll find his announcement confusing. How can he say the kingdom of the world has become his kingdom while the earth is still in chaos and will remain so for years? But what we discover when we look more closely is that a powerful principle is being employed, one which God wants us to learn so we can cooperate with him when he applies it to our own lives, not just so we can rejoice over what he'll do at the end of this age. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. We have, as we've gone through Revelation so far, we've seen the seven seals opened. And then we've seen six trumpets and then a a, a bit of a delay. And now we're seeing the seventh and final trumpet. In the future, we'll see another seven bowls of the wrath of God being poured out. But that's for another time. Verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world 
has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Would you say that? Let's, let's, let's declare the same thing together. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. You recognize the words? He shall reign forever and ever. He shall reign forever. <laughs> yeah, it's Handel's Messiah, man. This is the, one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. And uh, so here they are declaring this. But would you notice the tenses of the verbs? Kingdom of the world has become. He doesn't say it's going to become. He said it has become. Do you notice that? It has become. It's a done deal. It's already happened. The kingdom of, of, of the world is, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken, notice again, they're doing the same thing, you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged and your wrath came and the time came for the dead to be judged and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. Then another time I'll mention the Ark of the Covenant that's there in heaven. It's in your daily Bible study. You can read that. The announcement is made that the earth has become the kingdom of God. He rules now. It's all done. It's a finished fact. But where are we on God's timetable? Look at verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 6. As it goes forward here, you've got the woman who is Israel, the national Israel, giving birth to a child, and then you see this happen. Verse 6, the woman, woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that she would be nourished for 1,260 days. How long is that? Three and a half years. So we have, we have national Israel going out into the wilderness like Israel coming out from Pharaoh being protected supernaturally in the wilderness for three and a half years. All right, go a little farther down. Verse 14. But two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time, times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. What does he mean, time, times and half a time? Three and a half years, exactly. Now let your eye go down to chapter 13, verse uh, 5. We're talking about the Antichrist. We're going to see how he, in chapter 13, how he deals with the rest of the world and his, his deception. And it says... Verse 5, there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months. How long is 42 months? Three and a half years, exactly. We have in front of us three and a half years left to go. And yet, in heaven, God, because that's the source of this, says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ have become. They're mine now. Whoa. How do we know? I want to show you something. Now, I'm going to move through this material quickly, but it's important material. You can check up on what I said later. I'm going to show you something that seems so phenomenal that you won't necessarily believe me. You'll think, oh, that's got to be one of those fruitcake things that they do. I want you to know that the, what, I'm, what I'm showing you was, was, was seen, first of all, that I know of in 1909. 
by a man by the name of Sir Robert Anderson. And a lot of very tough people have come at this thing and tried to prove it wrong and cannot. The way you check things, if you want to see if there's any weak holes in it, you go to liberals and see what they do because they're dying to shoot down anything of faith. And they can't. The only argument they have against what I'm going to tell you is that they say, well, it's so literal, it can't possibly be true. It stuns you. And I've had professional mathematicians in our church check this out and go after it. And they come back and say, it's true. Watch this. Hang on. Go with me to Daniel chapter 9. You really can't understand the whole timetable of these last days that we're studying in the book of Revelation if you don't know this passage I'm about to show you. This is a, one of the most incredible prophecies in the Bible. I would say Isaiah 53 is one of those absolute, it's just the cream of the crop, and this one is so stunning people can't, can't, get, they can't figure out how it happened. It is so amazing. Beginning at verse 24, Daniel's going to talk about 70, mine says 70 weeks. Does yours say 70 weeks? Mine's, it's actually 77. That's what it says, and the interpreters of my Bible figured, well, seven, that's got to be a week. All right, 77s have been decreed for your people and for your holy city. Daniel has fasted and prayed. I should tell you, set this up a bit. He's fasted and prayed and sought the Lord, and Gabriel shows up and speaks this to him and tells him basically about the, the major works of God to the end of time. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, sin, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Seventy-sevens. And now we're going to see how those play out. Verse 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. And then he says, and it, Jerusalem, will be rebuilt, will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. And seven sevens, Jerusalem will be rebuilt. What, how long would seven sevens of years be? 49 years. All right, we know historically this is not up for grabs. This is a solid, there's a solid historical number where this thing starts. It starts from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. We know when that was done. It, it was Artaxerxes who gave a command to rebuild Jerusalem, and he did it on the first of Nisan, which would be March 14th, 445 B.C. All right, we've got a starting place. Cyrus, the Medo-Persian emperor, had already given a command to rebuild the temple. You recall that. Artaxerxes' command is described in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. You read that? Cyrus's command is described in Ezra 1, 1 through 4. So Ezra and Nehemiah are describing the fulfillment of this section of prophecy right here that, you, that you've just seen. Well, the question is... Within 45 years of 445 B.C., were the moat and the public square and all of that rebuilt in Jerusalem? Absolutely. Yes, they were. 
It took place just as it said. But then it goes on and it says, there'll be seven sevens and 62 sevens until Messiah the Prince. Verse 26, after 62 weeks, and we know on top of the seven, seven, so we 69 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. Now that word cut off is, is not up for grabs. There's no question what it means, violently killed. That's what it means. The Messiah will be violently killed. Now, did you read that? I don't know what Judaism does with that. Because there it sits in the middle of the prophet Daniel. The Messiah will be violently cut off after 69 sevens. Now, 69 sevens of years. How many years is that? 69 times seven. I would not have known without having calculated it. It is 476 years. Now, these years, by the way, are 300 and biblical years are 360 days. And, well, you say 1260 days is three and a half, those are 30 uh, day months. 360 days, and if we count 1 B.C. and A.D. as one year, so you're not playing kind of games with a calendar, you're just going right along. 445 B.C., March 14th, add 69 sevens, 472, did I say? Six, excuse me, 476 years. Where do we come out? Now, I'm not kidding you. This is exactly where it comes out. It comes out at 32 A.D., it comes out April 6th. Now, hang on, there's more. Every Christmas you hear this read. In the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. Luke chapter 3, verse 1, as we describe the birth of Christ. In the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. Well, we happen to know when Tiberius Caesar began his rule. It was 14 AD. So, in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, what year was it? It was 29 AD. No question, this is simple. You, you can add 14 and 15, right? 29. Even I can do that, and I am not good at these things. All right. So it, it says that Jesus was born in 29 AD. How many years did he minister? He ministered three. He ministered three years. So if he began in 29, he was crucified in? There you go, 32 AD. You're exactly right. Turns out that uh, April 6th was a day called Palm Sunday. Jesus, on that day, took a donkey, a little foal of a donkey, a young donkey, and he rode that into Jerusalem, and all the pilgrims began to wave palm branches and throw their coats in the road, and they called out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, declaring him their Messiah. That's what they were doing, welcoming Messiah into Jerusalem. And he knew even when he got on that donkey, it was a fulfillment of Zechariah. Zechariah says, behold, you know, Israel, here comes your Messiah seated humble on a donkey. So here he rides in declaring himself and the people receive him. And the religious leaders were furious. They said, uh, uh, you know, teacher, stop them. Stop them. This is blasphemy. They're calling you the Messiah. Do you remember his response to them? He said, today, if they do not, cry out my praise, what would happen? He said, even the rocks will cry out my praise. This day was prophesied to the day by the prophet Daniel. Can you imagine that? To the day. Listen to me. If Jesus is not the Messiah, Israel will never have a Messiah. There can be 
no other. There will be no other that will ever come. Now, we sure know what those sevens are. They are, how many, how many, what is a seven? It's seven years down to the day, uh, remarkably so. We have one more seven left. There were 70 of them. And this last one floats. It's the fourth beast that Daniel talks about. It's waiting to happen. How long is it going to be? What's the last seven? Seven years. We know there's another seven-year period. So when we get into the book of Revelation, it talks about, it talks about 1,260 days, three and a half years. I'm going to sh- now follow with me back to Daniel. And let's, let's see why it does that. So we know that Messiah will be cut off, violently killed, and have nothing after 69 sevens. Indeed, he did exactly that. As he, as he rode to his path, his passion began that very day. And then it says, and the people of the prince who is to come, that's the Antichrist. He isn't... It, that he isn't fully expressed yet, but the, the spirit of Antichrist keeps popping up through human history like mushrooms in my front lawn. Do you remember that? Okay. All right. One of the pop-ups of this Antichrist spirit was Rome. And it popped up. And the, so the people of the prince who is to come, in this case it was Rome, will destroy the city, Jerusalem, and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Now, on that Palm Sunday day, Jesus did not just ride in. He stopped and he looked over the city. Do you remember what he, did? he said? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stone the prophets. How often I would have taken you under my wings as a hen does her chicks, but you would not. You have missed the day of your visitation. And then he said, and he prophesied, there'll not be a stone left upon stone. You will be destroyed, for you've missed your Messiah. How did he know that? Daniel says it. You see it right there? Messiah will be cut off, and the city and the temple will be, will be destroyed with a flood. And even to the end, there will be, a, be war and desolations are determined within, by 70 AD when this all took place. A million people, the Romans killed a million people when they took Jerusalem. They put siege to it. They starved them to death and they killed them. And now, now we're back to he, verse 27. He, that is the prince who will come, this Antichrist, will make, now we're, now we're moving forward to this, the, the last seven. He will make a firm covenant He will make a solemn promise with the many for one seven, for seven years. But in the middle of the seven, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. Here's what will happen. The Antichrist will make an edict of religious toleration. And I think it's with the many, meaning not simply Israel. I think he's going to because he's, he's had this, we've seen this expansive empire go out. And he's going to say, I'm a broad-minded person, and I'm going to allow religious freedom. And he'll make a solemn promise to the many that they can practice their religion. But it says, in the middle of the seven, he will break his promise. What's the middle of the seven? How many years? There you go. Three and a half. The middle of this final uh, seven-year period. In the middle of the seven, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, which in my mind means this temple has been rebuilt 
and Israel is sacrificing and offering grain and all again in their temple. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. This Antichrist will break his covenant. The man of lawlessness, Paul said, will enter the temple and take his seat there, declaring himself what? To be God. Remember this? All right, and he demands the world worship him, and if you don't worship him, you die. And Jesus says, man, when you see this happen, run for the hills. Jesus says, go out. He says, what does he say? When you see this happen, when you see the abomination of desolation, let the reader understand when, 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 when that takes its place in the temple, right? What is he, what's the next word he says? Flee to, the, flee to the wilderness. And we just read in, in, in Revelation 12 that God will take his... his he will take that woman, national Israel, and where will he? He'll take them out into the wilderness and he will hide them and protect them. I mean, it all fits together so much it gives you goosebumps. It, it's, I mean, I want to tell you something. People who say all of this, this, this last day's prophecy is a bunch of, uh, of kind of unconnected stuff are, just don't get it. It is so consistent, it's scary. There's times I sit and I look at it and go, oh my goodness, the picture is not ambiguous at all. It is absolutely to the detail described. All right, so we've got this broken covenant. We've got an abomination. What's the abomination? On the wing of abominations, what will happen? Come on, I just told you. He, the Antichrist will take his place in the temple, demand to be worshipped, and then those who don't, he will desolate. Desolate means make a desert. Kill all life. Jesus says there'll be a religious persecution like the world has never seen, and there'll be no life left if it were not for God who stopped it. A horrible, horrible genocide of all who will not worship him will take place on the wing of abominations. And then we find that last statement, which is so great, until a complete destruction, one that is decreed. We saw the decree being given as the Ancient of Days sat in his throne, took the scroll, and then had the Son of Man come and he gave to him the governments of the world. Hallelujah. The decree is made, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. God will desolate him. He's going to burn his hair off and he's going he's to throw him in the lake of fire. We're going to see it all and that's the decreed desolation. Hallelujah. All right, now I gave you something very rapidly, but you need to take a look at that. Those of you that are skeptical, go on, get your calculators out and give it a try because you'll come become believers. Where are we now in this thing where, we are, where, where this, now back to Revelation 11. Revelation 11 is being spoken three and a half years into this final seven-year period. We know where we are on the calendar. We've already had the uh, Elijah and Moses come. And then we've had, we've had verse 7 of chapter 11 is, is where, that, where Satan comes down to earth and possesses the Antichrist and, and they kill those two prophets and yet they're resurrected in front of everybody's eyes and then this thing is declared. We're right in the middle of the final seven-year period. Jesus won't arrive for three and a half years. And yet the kingdoms of this world are the kingdoms of our God and of his, of his Christ. All right, here's the principle. Things are established in the spiritual world before they are established in the physical world. Things are established in the spiritual world before they are established in the physical world. God still speaks things into existence. Genesis 1, then God said, let there be, and it was. Everything starts with God speaking. Say that with me. Everything starts with God speaking. Some people say it starts with you speaking. No, it starts with God speaking. God is still the creator. 
And when he speaks, so when, so when we're in chapter 11 hearing him declare this while there's chaos on the earth, he says, it's done. It's done. The kingdoms have become. He's speaking it into existence. He's creating it right there. God doesn't have to assemble loose parts together and make things happen. He brings things to being out of nothing. I love the passage in Romans 4 where, where Abraham, we're told, worshiped a God who called that which be not as though it be. That which were not, is not as though it were. Our God simply says, and it is. Got it? So we're not seeing him out of touch with what's happening on the planet. We're seeing him say, he's announcing and saying, it's done now. And he created it right then and there. He, he spoke it into existence. He still does that. I won't take you through the, the illustration of Abraham, but it's a good one. You can read that if you, later if you wish. Principle applied. Some people believe they have no responsibility to pursue a promise except to wait for God to act. They think they can remain passive and he will simply guide circumstances until that promise is realized. Those who respond this way do not see their promises fulfilled. Do you hear that? As time goes by, they either doubt the validity of the promise. This is my observation of people who say, I guess, I, I guess it wasn't, uh, wasn't really the Lord at all, assuming it to have been a false prophecy. Or they decide they misinterpreted what they heard. Uh, God must have meant something else. Some even respond by angrily accusing God of having fail, failing to perform what he promised. God somehow failed them. But what most likely happened is that they misunderstood the process of receiving spiritual promises. Here are three truths we need to remember. When God declares his will, he's telling me he's committed to assist me and what will take place if I obey. Got it? Here's my will. Here's what I'm going to... Here's what, if you obey, is going to happen. Number two, given the nature of this fallen world, obtaining his promises always requires a battle and patience. I have to fight for the land. That goes back to that Abraham illustration. You remember Abraham was promised that land. He said, it's your land it's and your descendants. 430 years his kids finally arrived. And then there were people there who thought they owned the place. They didn't know it was Israel's. They figured it was theirs and were about to fight to keep it. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. It's your land. You just have to get those people out of there. There are promises in your life and in mine which God will do with or without you. Thank heavens. <laughs> okay, and here, here's the application. Here's how you receive a promise. Number one, you got to hear God speak so I can align my efforts with his. I have to hear him speak. If you say, I haven't heard God, that's where you're ambiguous, that's where you waffle, that's where you wander, that's where you question, that's where you're weak. When you haven't heard God speak. Amen? Amen. All right, you... And, and, and it, it takes some pressing through. That's what I was sharing in the sense what I was doing. I had to hear God speak on some issues. And I, I, I took some time to finally fast and break through. And boy, there he was. And he spoke to me. I'm a different guy when I've heard from him. As opposed to before that, you know, I was kind of like, I think he said that. I'm pretty sure he said that. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm sure he said that. I, I, you know, you know you're the, it's that wishy thing. And you're kind of all over the map because you haven't really heard from him. Because when you have, you know it. You say, well, I've tried. You haven't tried hard enough. And probably what you haven't done is you haven't quieted down enough. We have to dial down. And that's very hard for Americans. Turn the, turn the radio off. Go someplace. Do some fasting. By the way, you know what I did? I fasted with green tea. I kept myself high. All right. 
I was continually buzzed on green tea. Of course, I don't take much caffeine, so it doesn't take much. But instead of the headaches and everything else, I just kept drinking. I just kept sipping away on green tea. And it kept my, so I kept the headache away and all of that. And I'm just able to, to wait on the Lord and have a great conversation with him. You'll know when you've had it. He wants to speak to you. He's already speaking to you. It's you who needs to press through that membrane that keeps you away from him. It's not that he's not talking to you. Listen to you. You hear me what I said? You are not the exception to the rule. It isn't that you, he isn't talking to you. One of the fundamental traits of our God is he speaks. He is not like the gods of the nations who do not speak. They are stone and wood. Our God speaks. He always has. He always will. So he's talking to you. And if you aren't hearing him, it's because you haven't learned to hear him. So it must start with speaking because that's where everything comes. Number two, expect opposition. Obstacles will be present that oppose my possession of the promise. Always. Number three, don't evaluate potential based on the existing circumstances. Don't look around and say, I don't think this is likely to happen. These do not determine the likelihood of my promise being fulfilled. God is a God who speaks and creates out of nothing. He calls that which is not as though it were. He doesn't have to assemble parts. He can make new ones. Amen. Got it? Amen. So you say, I don't have any money. I don't have the resources. I can't do this. Get over it. He can speak it into existence. If he's called you to do it, he'll provide for you. Got it? Amen. He fed him with bread from heaven. He'll feed you with bread from heaven. He's not out of business. People, we come up with all kinds of obstacles. You know, I, I can't do it. I don't have enough money. Or I'm a woman. Or, or <laughs> I'm married to this one. I'd love to do it. But you know. You got no excuses. You got no excuses. God can move the heart of your spouse. It's probably not the problem. All right. Number four, ask God for the first step. He will not show you the road. I, I just had that last night. I'm, after preaching this sermon, I have somebody come up to me. And he, said, he dropped out of LMI. He said, I've, you know, I've been called in ministry, but I, I, don't, I don't. He says, I don't know how I'd ever be a pastor. I said, so what did he tell you to do? Well, go to LMI. And, go to LMI. That's our school. Just study the word. No, he won't show you the next step till you've done the first step. Got it? Amen. And you keep looking down the road and second-guessing and playing your options. He's not going to tell you until you've done what he's told you to do. Maintain a spiritual perspective on life because in this life, fulfilled promises always seem incomplete. Even when you realize the very things that God has promised you, you'll be disappointed. Why is that? Why is that? Even after you have remarkable things, something inside is still not complete. Hebrews chapter 11 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And it talks about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and all. And it says, it says this, all these died in faith without receiving the promises. Imagine that. They died in faith without receiving their promises. It, it, it says of, it says of uh, Abraham this. Uh, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, that they don't 
really, this isn't our home. They don't belong here. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they'd been thinking of that country, Abraham and Sarah, Ur of the Chaldees, out of which they came, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. Abraham, even when he had the land, and when he stood there and surveyed it, he was still not fulfilled. Why? Because he longed for a city not made with hands, whose builder and maker is God. He wanted the Lord's presence in heaven. And so do you. We've got work to do here, people. God needs you to rise up. He needs you to step forward. Are you a disciple? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Yes or no? All right, then the promises are all for you. There are no secondary promises. Everything in the word is yours. The call is yours. The anointing is yours. The assignment is yours. This isn't happy talk. This is fundamental Christianity. You're either in or you're out. And if you're in, then you're on on assignment. And God needs you to rise up and and move forward in what he's given you to do. He'll speak a promise to you, but you got to move. And way too many people sit passively and will not do what he's told them to do. And then years later, blame him or doubt the prophecies? No. You have to step out on what God's spoken. Would you stand with me? Now, today as we've been going through the word, some of you have been feeling the heat because you know you're exactly what we've been describing. That the Lord's spoken and you've been passive and you haven't stepped forward in it. But you know today, as the Lord just speaks to you, you think, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am his disciple and I'm going forward on what the Lord's called me to do. And you just, between you and him, you're ready to make that fresh commitment and step out and do what he's asked you to do. I believe today the Lord wants to release the body to another step of obedience. If that's you, would you raise your hand? You just say, I know, he's spoken to me. I'm one of those. I've got to move forward on the promise. Hold your hands up because we're going to pray for you. This is an important moment. I don't know what God has in mind for all of us, but there's a, there's a releasing right today and this weekend of the body of Christ, and it's happened in every service. Heavenly Father, we stand before you and we lift our hands and we simply, in, in doing so, confess that there has in some way been a passivity in us and we have not pursued that which you've spoken. We surely repent of it, Lord, but the, the thing you want is simply a change of mind. You don't want us to rue the past and go through self-punishment. That has no value. You want us to step forward boldly and joyfully in what you're telling us to do. I pray right now for every hand up that the voice of the Lord will speak to you. May the Lord's voice come through to the ears of your heart. May the Lord teach you how to find your own way to break apart that membrane and and to be in his presence and know that he's spoken a word to you. 
or if he already has and you're sure of it already, that he would give you the faith and boldness to take the next step. Lord, show these hands, every one of them. Show them the next step. That's all you're going to tell us. Just what do we do now? What obedience now do we do? Not someday, not when we graduate from something. Now, what do you want us to do? We ask for that to come clear to us. And then, Lord, as we lift our hand to you, we just say we put our hand in yours. Because what you ask of us is scary. But we say that by your power, by your grace, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so it's not for us to determine the boundaries of things. It's only for us to obey. So we'll move forward, Lord, in that which you've spoken to our heart and fulfill it. Now you can put your hands down. And I just got this word to say. Eye has not seen nor ear heard all that the Lord has in store. Pardon me, I missed a part. Nor the mind of man conceived, is it? All that... Nor has it entered into the heart of man all that I have in store for them that love me. You can't conceive what God has in mind. Oh, we hold him back, don't we? We limit the God of Israel. But Lord, today, we, your sons and daughters, say we will not limit you, but we'll rise up as men and women full of the Holy Spirit and be the people you've called us to be. Show us the next step. We're taking it in Jesus' powerful name. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.